Many of us at times in our lives have been through all kinds of motivational speeches, right? Some inspiring, some not so inspiring. I, 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 I can tell you salesman after salesman who's been through all kind of pep talks, just one more rah-rah event. And it just gets a little old after a while, right? But there's times when we need to be reminded and why we do what we do. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in the book of Romans in this introductory section, which we've had read again for us this morning, but we've tacked on the most important. Van Cliburn, it was said, he said, if I didn't practice piano one day, I knew it. And if I didn't practice two times, my instructors knew it. If I didn't practice for three days, the world knew it. Thus, he was motivated, very self-motivated, and was one of the greatest pianists ever to have lived. You know, it's interesting when we think of motivation. Those kind of stories motivate me. You know, last year I spoke, last week I, I spoke about my friend, that plaque on Park Street about Sergeant or Private Seaman Second Class Olsuski. Those of you who are here remember that. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But motivational stories are helpful for us. And I was reminded, and it's worth saying this little illustration again this week, given the fact that about 40% of the congregation is not there on a given Sunday due to 21st century lifestyles. So, I remember as a child reading Peanuts, and there was a cartoon where Linus threw a stick for Snoopy, and Snoopy, instinctually, being a hound dog, started to chase it, but he thought better of it in the second panel, and he paused for the next panel, and then it came to the last panel of the cartoon, and he said, you know, I want people to remember me more than just being a nice guy who chased sticks. Right? So we talked about Paul's motivations last week, and so I encourage you to open up with me to your Bibles. I hope you'll turn with me in your Bibles. If you're in visiting with us this morning, I encourage you to turn to the last page where it's there, right there for you. We remembered last week that our motivations, as Paul exhorted us to, were motivated by gratitude for what the Lord has done for us in Christ and done among his people. Paul was particularly grateful for what had been done in Rome. He was also motivated by the mutual encouragement of faith as God's people gather together and knowing that when he gets there to Rome, he'll be so encouraged in the faith and they by him as well. We also learned that he's motivated by the mutual obligation that he has, that he's obligated by the Lord to pay this gift of faith forward in the gospel, that we can never pay God back, so we pay it forward, the gift of the gospel. And he's motivated to get out there and do it in an amazing way, and he doesn't stop there. There's a, a fourth element of Paul's motivation to ministry is, of course, the fact that he's convinced of the power of the gospel. Verses 16 and 17 are some of the most memorable words in all of Scripture. It's the melodic line through Paul's letter to the Roman church. And if you're not with Jesus this morning, or if, if you think you're a Christian 
this will change your life. This is the text where the penny will drop. Just understanding this verse. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for many, many years, this will take your heart higher to soar. Because this is truly motivational. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. So we learn two great truths in this passage. That we too are not to be ashamed of the gospel. And two, it comes to us by faith alone. Why would Paul say this, not to be ashamed? Because he knows the human heart and the tendency to be ashamed of the gospel because the gospel comes to us in humility, in great weakness, and it's foolish to the world. Remember, who's he speaking to in this letter? The Romans. This is the center of the world. If you make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? It's incredible military power. It's stretched from Britannia all the way around the Mediterranean to North Africa. There's no comparison today. <laughs> you know, just imagine that vast geography with a bunch of city-states. Our calendar is based on the Roman calendar. Many of our laws, but it was a violent, sensuous, and corrupt nation. There were no hospitals in Rome. The, there were no orphanages in Rome, even though the city was filled with orphans. Because they were just viewed as orphan scum. And the people had no conscience. It was a lustful culture, made more debased by the intelligentsia of their day. And so when Paul was going to preach the gospel and was encouraging the Roman readers, he was reminding them that there's power in it. Because Paul had seen such power. He had preached the gospel in Jerusalem and caused an uprising. In Athens, he preached the gospel, and they gave him names, nothing more than he was just some country bumpkin. Mixed results, as it always has, and he would eventually come to Rome, and he would be ready when he got there, unashamed, and Paul would be masterful. And so, we see that there's, there's, to preach the gospel unashamed, because there's a reason behind that, because it is powerful. That's the word there. Anyone who has sat consistently under the priest's word of God for any amount of time knows that the Greek word for power is dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. This is dynamite power. The gospel has amazing power in our lives to blow away the rock and form a Mount Rushmore out of us. That's what Paul's getting to here. And the word gospel literally means good news. When a prince or a princess was born, there was a good news. There was a gospel announced to the nation. It was an ancient headline. And Paul is not ashamed of this good news because it is the unhindered power of God to effect salvation to all the present and future believers. For everyone who placed their trust in this story. We must never be ashamed. And Paul said this because he knew of our tendency to be embarrassed or to deny what we know to be true. And the wonder is that God is not ashamed of us. That is powerful. 
So how does this belief in the gospel bring about salvation then, according to Paul? Well, verse 17 unveils it. It's by faith alone. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed for faith, from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So first, the good news of Jesus Christ reveals, that is, the righteousness from God is a heavenly righteousness. Paul in Philippians 3.9 writes that it speaks of righteousness, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes that he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. It's not ours. It's God's as a gift revealed to us in Jesus Christ and offered to us as an alien righteousness received by faith. Because the gospel revealed through Jesus Christ who suffered in our place recognizes that our righteousness of ours is not good enough before a holy God. Through Jesus' resurrection, God offers a righteousness to us that we wear like a, like, a, like a winter coat on a cold day. So we see God's righteousness in the gospel and we understand it by faith. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, meaning that it's entirely by faith. You can't add to it. You just trust it and you rest in it. And Paul concludes his introduction bringing in Habakkuk that June read for us this morning, that the righteous shall live by faith. English is a word order language. You could also say it, that those who by faith are righteous shall live. It's who you are. It's like I've been saying for three weeks. Get over it. You're loved by God, but get used to it, but don't ever get over it. Because you're in Jesus, you're clothed in righteousness. That's the way he sees you. And it makes all the difference in the world. 16th century, Martin Luther had been searching for God for a long, long time. He thought that God's righteousness was a condemning righteousness. And seeing the righteousness of God as a standard of judgment drove him to absolute despair. But little by little, he began to understand, and particularly by looking at Romans 1, 16 and 17, he saw that God grants his righteousness to make us righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And it turned Luther's life upside down. His son, his youngest son, Dr. Paul Luther, wrote a letter, letter that's in a glass case in the library of Rudolstadt, Germany. It reads, in the year 1544, my dearest father in the presence of us all narrated the whole story of his journey to Rome. He acknowledged with great joy that in Rome, through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the whole, they had come to the knowledge of the truth of the everlasting gospel. It happened this way. As he repeated his prayers on the Lateran staircase, the words of the prophet Habakkuk came suddenly to his mind, the just shall live by faith. Thereupon he ceased his prayers, returned to Wittenberg, and took this as his chief foundation of all his doctrine. And Luther turned the world upside down with this good news of Jesus Christ and faith and loan. And he stood against the world of his time. 
Think of how the righteousness revealed in Jesus Christ motivated Paul in the early church, just as it motivated Martin Luther at the Reformation period. You see, it's possible for us to stand before God, for us to know, ladies and gentlemen, that we have eternal life. And in so having, we can have an abundant life right now. It's possible to free from the frustration of wondering whether I'm good enough, whether or not I'm going to go to heaven. See, the requirement, according to Scripture, is faith alone. And let me define that, because our culture has a warped view of what faith is. Faith is a reasoned trust that I am a rebel to the core, that my default setting is that I'm going to run my life my own way. The Bible calls that sin, and all humanity suffers from it. Just read the news. Okay? You don't have to wonder if that's true. It's there. And the Bible calls it sin. And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came, suffered upon the cross for us, lived a perfect life unto the Father, rose from the dead to demonstrate that he was God in front of enough witnesses that would stand in a court of law today, revealed himself as the one true God. And by placing our trust in his atoning work upon the cross alone, not my deeds, not my charitable works, trusting in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for me alone, I have salvation right now and for eternity. It's not a blind leap. <laughs> so if you have questions, ask them. There's no defense like the truth. Don't be afraid. But it's the greatest news that's ever been proclaimed, my friend. And so we, as God's people, like Paul, too, are motivated by the work that he's done in each and every one of us. I love to see you all hang out after the service. Get involved in all the different various small groups that, were, that are growing in leaps and bounds this year. The 8 o'clock crowd comes a half hour early and hangs around and greets many of you as you guys are coming. It's beautiful to see that love for one another and what God has done in each and every one of us. Amen? And that's mutual encouragement as well. We're motivated by a sense of debt that we can never pay it back to God because he's given us so much, and now we're indebted to pay it forward. To our friends and neighbors where we live, work, and recreate. But most importantly, we're motivated by the fact that in Jesus Christ, we are clothed with his righteousness and have salvation. Justified by salvation, by grace, through faith in Christ alone. Some of us who have gathered here this morning, who know Jesus throughout the week, have been perhaps chasing some sticks over this past week. Very busy with that. Um, when you should have a goal far greater, the ministry of the gospel wherever God has placed us. See, if we continue to chase sticks, we'll be remembered for that alone. How much better, dear Christian brother or sister, to have Paul's motivation for our lives. And maybe you've come in here this morning and you don't understand what it means to have the righteousness of God. 
unlike Dr. Luther, some of you have never known what it is to be free from your sins. To be righteous before God, to have Jesus in your life. The Bible's never been alive to you. And you haven't experienced the joy of being encouraged in the faith as Paul speaks, as we've been discussing these past couple weeks. Jesus Christ can change all that right now. For it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Based on true faith alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we gather, we are grateful that we can do so this morning in freedom. And we're grateful for these, our friends. We ask that each one would know you. Give their lives to you in this way that Paul writes. Not trusting in, in their works, but in your righteousness alone obtained for us upon the cross. And know that they're completely forgiven of their sins through faith in Jesus Christ. If there's even one who's never done that, Lord, I ask now that you would open their eyes to see for the very first time. And I pray for each of us, O oh Lord, in our own small, ordinary ways, in our homes, workplaces, recreational places, wherever we are. Help us to remember that this good news is dynamite. Yes. And we are part of something that you are doing right here, right now, for eternity. And Lord, we just pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to be faithful to that which you have entrusted to us, unashamed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.